This episode is brought to you by MSW Nutrition and Lounge, a partner in the How Do You Health Network. For decades, I've struggled with various gut and autoimmune issues, which have forced me to alter my life and career. Within the last year, though, after undergoing numerous blood tests, I've discovered that a majority of my health problems, they've been linked to vitamin and mineral deficiencies. Because I am now able to see what I was deficient in, I can also supplement against those deficiencies with the proper daily vitamins and minerals, as well as receive weekly IVs that are specific to my needs. This has changed the game for me. Today, not only do I feel like a completely new person, my ability to focus in life and business has increased, my athletic performance is better now than when I was a collegiate athlete, and most importantly, the relationship I have with myself, as well as the people I care about most, they are all thriving, and I'd love for you to feel the same way. So no matter where you are at in your health journey, whether it is scheduling your blood work or supplementing for your health needs, the beautiful part is the community at MSW and How Do You Health, they will listen to you and help you figure out the best path for you. So go to howdoyouhealth.com and use code THRIVE15 for 15% off all products and services. What's up? My name is CJ Finley, and this is the Thrive on Life podcast. I started a brand called Thrive on Life to help other mission-based people, brands, and businesses thrive. Each week, we interview people on topics of business, health, relationships, mindset, and much more to help us thrive in all areas of life. If the messages in this podcast resonate with you, but you're still feeling a little bit stuck in actually implementing these ideas, I'd love to help you on a more personalized level or connect you with somebody that can. So please reach out. Also, if you've got a friend who you know could benefit from hearing this episode, please share the love with them. My goal is always to spread positive impact through the sharing of knowledge, and I would be honored if you could help me achieve this goal. Today's episode features Albert Baez, co-founder and president of Blended Sense, a media technology company that matches creative freelancers with local gigs. Having suffered a career-ending injury during his pursuit of professional baseball, Albert was left to recreate himself and his life. This came with a ton of ups and downs and a lot to learn from, but most importantly, it reinvigorated his purpose in life. Having been a part of several startups as well as startup exits, Albert today is driven to be a trusted leader, team builder, and problem solver for an industry that needs minds like his. If you're the type of person who would love to learn more about pivoting your life, building teams and companies, and working in the creative industry, this episode is for you. Let's jump into the convo and give it up for Albert Baez. What is up, Thrive Fam? CJ Finley here again for another episode of the Thrive on Life podcast. And it is March 1st, and every March, I like to do something for myself. And what I mean by that is it's startup month here in Austin. South by Southwest is back. I love business, and even more so than business in itself, I love meeting, networking, learning from other founders who had created something from nothing. And today, I have the pleasure to sit with somebody that has done just that, and I'm really looking forward to this conversation. I know there's going to be a lot of takeaways for all of you out there that are listening right now. But before we get into it, I'd love to introduce today's guest, Mr. Albert Baez, the CEO and founder of Blended Sense. How are you doing today, Albert? Man, so blessed. Grateful every day. You know, we wake up and we have the opportunity to take a deep breath. That's a that's a big win in my book. So here we are. It's a beautiful day in, in Austin. I'm so happy to be here with you. Heck yeah. I love that you have that mentality. It's something that I try to live by as well. Every morning you wake up is a blessing. And I love following your content. Congratulations Thank on you. your baby. Um, it's <laughs> something that I look forward to in the future. So it's it's something to look up for up to. It's admirable that both you and your wife are uh, heavily involved in that and then also in the business world. So yep. kudos to you. But before we get into uh, kind of your background and what blended sense is, I do have a question yep, that sure. I'd love to kind of pick your brain on. And I've worked in the creative space for years now. And one of 
the toughest things to do is make the end customer, a client, happy and then keep creatives happy at the same time because the end customer has a result that they're looking for and an expectation. It seems like never-ending expectations. And then the creative has a vision for what they want to produce for that end client. That has been a major struggle of mine, but I love to learn kind of like what have been the biggest struggles yeah. of building a creative agency. Man. So I'll tell you, you're not alone. Like both these groups in the marketplace are traditionally difficult. If you look at huge companies like Spotify and SoundCloud, right? Those companies like SoundCloud almost went under because they just can't turn a profit, right? It's a very tough demographic. Spotify is really trying to understand how to bring in new revenue models to help that demographic. But the fact and the reality is a small business owner, the business owner period, right? And the creative are, are two really tough segments. And there's a couple things that we've learned. And one of them is a hard truth is that sometimes both of them need to get out of their own way. <laughs> and I mean that with all the love and respect, right? I've been working with small businesses for over 10 years now, you know, tens of dozens of thousands of small business owners, I've had the opportunity to speak to either directly or indirectly through a team. And another thing that both these groups have in common is that they've been burned by doing business, right? The small business owner I know even more specifically through my experience is they get tens and 15 calls a day from marketing and advertising companies out there, software companies out there, all these different like opportunities to sell them something, right? And so the small business owner naturally is a little bit more cautious when doing business. And they're also way more quick to churn, as they say, right? And like move on from that business agreement. And then on the creative side, creatives are in isolation. And that's the, the first part about getting out of their own way. That What I mean is be open to collaboration, being open to doing business the right way and separating art from creative service. And I think that one for on the creative side is a tough one because as creatives, when we create art, it's a very vulnerable thing, period. It's ourselves. It's in, whether you're writing a book, whether you're doing a painting, writing a song, right? Creating videos or, or photos. That's a huge vulnerability where you're saying, hey, this came to me through an imagination, through a moment in time, and I felt it was important to put it together and share it with the world. Now you tell me what you think about it, right? But what we like to help creatives understand is that you should continue doing that forever until the end of time, so long as you love it, right? But what you also need to understand, if you'd like to make a living doing what you love, that you have to take the skills and the gifts of creativity, right? That's the skill and the gift that they have, and then turn that into a service. And then with the service, there's expectations that come with that. There's business expectations, there's deadlines, there's professionalism. And I think what we're trying to really do is help these two groups who are both in isolation, who both have education, know-how gap, right? When I say education, I don't mean that they're not smart. I mean that the creative doesn't have the customer service acumen, the accounting acumen, the project management acumen that they may need to provide reliable services in the marketplace. And then on the other end, you got business owners who don't have the time, resources, or the know-how when it comes to creative services, right? And so there's this gap that it just takes a conversation. It just takes bringing them together. It takes education, resource tools, and a little bit more awareness of each other so that they can do better business together. And man, you are not alone. We are still trying to understand both of these groups. They are typically fickle. They're typically difficult to work with, but I think that's what makes it so special and why this problem is so important to us that we know if we can solve it, 
we're going to be able to impact and stimulate so many local communities because they're all there. They're all wanting to work together and they're just having a hard time doing it today. There's so many ways I could go into what you kind of just unpacked there. And it kind of overwhelms me because it makes me realize like how much you are creating as a business. So take away the creative side, but as a founder and as a CEO, like managing expectations is really what a CEO is doing <laughs> all day, every day, whether yeah. it's your employees or your customers, it's managing the expectations of everything going on in the company. And something you said there really hit home with me. It's the whole like using your gift as a service. And I think that is a struggle for a lot of people out there because it is, you, you mentioned a keyword there, vulnerable of them to use that gift and then put something out there. And then when it's a client, if that client doesn't like it, it's like you having an open wound and somebody just sticking a pencil or something yeah. in it. And you're just like, why yeah. the fuck are you doing that? <laughs> um, and then as the CEO, you got to manage that person to make it known that like it's not a knock on their gift. It's just how the marketplace works and we got to manage that. So from the ground up, how did you come about this problem and why did you become so passionate about it? I'll say one thing here uh, on that note is, is business is business. It's not personal. And we yeah. hear that all the time, but that's a big barrier for creatives to understand is that business is business. It's not personal. Uh, and then in regards to where this passion came from really was my wife. She's a commercial film actor. And she's been in the industry for over a decade. And when we moved from New York City to Austin, she got a manager and her career really started taking off. Like she was on set with Google, Verizon, Samsung. If you've seen a UPS ad, you've probably seen her on it, right? And she's got a feature film on Amazon or she's on screen 90% of the time. And at that peak, she was still struggling with cash flow. She's like, what the heck? How is it that I'm doing the thing? I'm busting my butt. I'm showing up every day. I've got a manager. I've got these gigs. And I'm still struggling with cash flow and I can't make a living doing what I love. And part of it was logistical. That industry naturally has a net 60 to net 90 pay. So you've got gaps. The checks are nice, right? But you've got two, three months where you're not seeing that check and you've already rendered the services. And then another thing is, and the why we got so passionate about building something is that outside of those big gigs that her manager got her, she wasn't able to find local gigs that were professional reliable, paid, safe, even sometimes, right? The Craigslist of the world, the Upworks, the Fivers, the Facebook marketplaces. The keep the lights on gigs. Yeah, the yeah. keep the lights on gigs, which I promise you, the creatives that are out there really building a business for themselves and a, and a way of life and making a living, they have no problem doing. So long as they get paid, it's professional and safe. And so she's digging and busting her butts. She's having to be a fitness instructor, which no knock on it, right? But most creatives don't even have the opportunity to be a fitness instructor, which is a pretty yeah. fun gig. They're having to be a waiter or a waitress or a bartender, right? You're doing all these odd jobs, you know, ride sharing, whatever it may be that doesn't necessarily, it's not a bad gig, but doesn't align with what they love. And so that gap of the locality, the reliability, and the safety of gigs for creatives was what she was like, there's got to be a better way. She was just like waving the flag. She came home one day, super frustrated with a big set she was on. She's like, not only is my net pay 60 to 90, but as the gigs get bigger and more professional, the logistics is still a nightmare. And that's what makes production so expensive in the marketplace is that it's an antiquated industry, just like real estate. It's been around forever since we started making movies. And 
from Hollywood down to like the independent production where we forget the fact that we're trying to make a profit. We're trying to, if you're trying you to make a living, sauce. you get lost in the sauce. And so equipment, three, five different locations, you're like, did you really have to, you know? And so all the technology that we built is to help automate the pre and post-production process, make this logistical nightmare as easy as possible. So anyone who's going to be on set, who's going to be doing anything on set knows what they need to be doing, when to be there, where to be there. Wow. At the same time, making it really easy for the creative to plug in and plug out and not feel like they have a boss, right? They can tell us their availability. They can tell us their location. They can tell us when they want to work, what radius of work they want, right? They can say, I only want to travel 20 miles, right? Versus another creative who loves driving and willing to do 50 miles, right? And so we've basically given creative professionals who are running their own business who are trying to make a living doing what they love, an opportunity to tap into local gigs that are reliable, safe, professional, uh, and help them get from, let's call it, they're making 40000 a year. Now they can make 50000 a year. They can make 55000 a year, right? They're making 60000 a year and they want to get to that 75 happiness threshold. Tap into Blend Sense and, and you can do that. And I think that that's a real need. And there's a lot of creatives out there who want to be making a living doing what they love and they have to, you know, Results of these odd jobs, even if they're having a, a successful time in their craft. So what you're building is kind of like a platform. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Multi-sided platform. Yeah. Which has the age old chicken and the egg problem. So <laughs> what, what is the bottleneck in what you're building? Yeah. Because there's a ton of creatives with that problem. And then I guess an easier way to dial down this question is like, where do you spend most of your time that isn't on getting new gigs so like where's most of your time because like it makes me think a lot of it is recruiting and honestly educating yep. building up people 100%. To, to understand more about what the problem is and then fill the gaps once you get the gigs provide the right service for that gig but i'm just making assumptions just based on hearing you <laughs> talk so i'd love to hear your side of it most of our time today is spent on the technology developing the technology, designing the technology, talking to users on both ends, right? And adding value to them. We want to get to a point where one thing we know from creatives, whether they're making 40,000, 50, 70, 100,000, they struggle with accounting. And so when tax season comes around, creative professionals are left on the water, right? Which is like, right now. Which is right, which <laughs> is right now, right? Like, and so we want to make it so that if you're in New York City, and you're tapped into Blend Sense, or you're in Austin, Texas, and Houston, the technology recognizes how you travel, whether that's public transportation or cars, right? And it can assess and calculate the mileage, the dollars spent on your travel, so that when you're done in a fiscal year with Blend Sense, you've got a report that helps you actually yield those returns, right? Via your taxes. Because most creatives don't- Yeah, they don't understand that. They, they just don't. And they're not tracking it. Um, and so those are the things that we're thinking about on the technology side. And then the other bulk of my time is spent exactly where you said it's in education. I'm having to educate investors. I'm having to educate business owners, creatives, partner channels on that. What we are providing and what our platform makes accessible is no longer nice to have. It's an essential part of doing business today. You need assets you need photos, you need videos, you need Facts. audio, you need copy, Facts. and you need to be doing it strategically, you need to be doing it consistently, and you need to be doing it like every part of your business, every part of your business. Everybody always comes to us and they the first thing they think is marketing and advertising. We're like, hell yeah, that's low-hanging fruit. Like We can help with that, but talk to me about your customer journey. 
what are those touch points that you currently have that maybe could be much more valuable and impactful if there's a video there instead of a freaking demo that you have to show someone. Nobody likes that anymore. Like no one, no one has the time. Millennials and consumers that are getting younger and younger, they don't have the time to sit in front and get pitched a sales, you know, a demo. Like they just want to know the stuff and they want to do it at their they're own time. They're used to YouTube. Yeah. They're, they're used to, to just 100%. like quick, easy, like hundred percent, very direct, easy information that they can digest. Teach it to me like a fifth grader. hundred percent. And they want to do it at their own time. Right. Yeah. Which is why audio is freaking own time, own dime. Own time. I love that. Let's yeah. go, baby. I might. Like, we might put that on a T-shirt. <laughs> <laughs> you could put some good artwork to that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I love everything that you're saying, and I know personally that the startup journey is not as easy as Albert is making it sound right now. And I read a little bit into your story, and I'd love to kind of dissect. Like you were a college baseball player, and got injured and then we're jumping around and then I'd love for you to kind of describe your path to getting towards meeting your wife and, and blended sense just so the the listeners on the other end I don't want to come off as intimidating because I relate a lot to Albert's story and if you want to be in his shoes today and sitting where he's at and managing a 10 plus employee team and talking to investors and business owners, just know that there's a story behind that. So I'd love for you to share that story. Yeah, I appreciate that. Thank you for the opportunity to share it. For me, man, I grew up in Washington Heights, New York, son of immigrants, right? My parents are from Dominican Republic. Such a blessing to have the opportunity to visit family often in DR and like see the culture and the roots and the richness of that culture, but then also be so blessed to be a citizen, right? Be born in the United States of America. And I've never taken that lightly. And although there was complex growing up, it was always a driving force of everything I did, whether it was baseball or now today, blended sense. And what I mean by that is to have an opportunity to even just like make a good life for yourself coming from where I come from is not the common norm, right? It's just not. It was a tough place growing up. And so for me, I always felt this responsibility and this passion for what kind of platform, what kind of team, what kind of ensemble can I be a part of that can build value and then bring it back to the hood right? mm. and like help people, more people do it. Right. And like, that was, that's it. That's been my driving force from as far as I can remember. That's been true to me, whether it was baseball or blended sense. And, you know, unfortunately injuries happen. And like, I'm one of many athletes who, who saw a trajectory and an opportunity and a path, but something happened, whether it's injury or other, other. What did cr- you think the path was going to be? Oh, I thought. Injured. Oh, I thought it was baseball all the way. I thought, uh, you know, I thought I was gonna be. I had this whole thing written out for myself. You know, like a late bloomer comes in and like has this like crazy career. I thought I was going to be in that industry my whole life. After baseball, I already was thinking about Jerry Maguire. Right? Can I be an agent? Right? Can I go? Dominican Republic is was a place that was taken advantage of as baseball blew up. Yeah, uh, Dominicans were coming over. You know, a lot of the Caribbeans, not just Dominicans, but they were. We were just naturally very passionate, enthusiastic, and very good at baseball. And so there was a lot of talent. And so teams and scouts were going over there and doing these under the table contracts for these kids. And you know, where these kids maybe could have gone to college, right, and like played baseball and still made it. Yeah. Uh, but they put it all on the line for a little bit of money, a short term gain, and. I thought I was going to make it. Uh, when when I got injured, it was super devastating. What was your injury? Labrum and rotator cuff. And I was already a max effort guy. That was the thing, right? Like I was, I had to work my ass off to just get to where I was. And so there was still more work to do. And so when the injury happened, the recovery time plus the percentage of 
the chance that I would get back to where I was, was, was not as high. And so it was just one of those things where it was, I was late in the game, right? I was already 22, 23 years old. I had to um, face reality and either keep trying or, or make a change. And the fact is, honestly, I didn't, I, I didn't even have the clear thought at that time. I was so young and it hit me so hard and other things in my life were kind of happening at the same time as they, as they tend to do in a, in the middle of a crisis. And so I was basically blackout drunk for nine months in New York City bartending and no one knew where I was. I was just like a ghost. What bar? Rimey, down on Flatiron. I opened that place. It was a Peruvian Pisco place. Uh, we were right next to a Michelin star restaurant. <laughs> so it was like high end, high, you know, I never had bartended in my life and I just faked it till I make it. Yeah. Um, then hey, I was no at, shame in the game, bro. Nah, bro. You know, you got to do it. And especially <laughs> in New York City, bro, if you show any any type of hesitation, <laughs> that's a I mean, the reason I'm asking is like my my first gig out, out of college after sports and all that was UBS Wealth Management in, oh, Wee, no in way. Weehawken. So I'd spent a lot of time on the Lower East Side, nice. Flatiron, there you go. Uh, Hell's Kitchen, all, yeah. the whole nine yards. So. Yeah, I was on 23rd and 6th <laughs> Ave, nice. which is crazy. When I, uh, well, we'll get there, but... Um, and then I was at Idea in Soho, which was a really dope spot. And um, there was a combination of two things that happened. Sandy, the hurricane, okay. put Idea yeah. out. And then my best friend basically had a Coach Carter moment with me. Uh, he was a software developer at the time for a company called Yodel. And he basically had conversation like this with me. You know, I was kind of like a weekend. Nobody knew where I was. I like stumbled into my parents' house. He like got gets called by my mom. Is like, Albert's here. Come talk to him. And he's like, bro, you got to like let go and wake up and realize that your loved ones are still here and we support you and you got to find what's next in your life because it's not looking good right now. And he basically told me, hey, they're hiring salespeople at my company. And that was how my career in technology started, the saving grace of my best friend realizing that I needed a hand at the moment. What's up, guys? I'd like to take a second to thank you for tuning into this episode with Albert. I hope you're loving this conversation so far. But before we get back into it, I have an opportunity I want to tell you about. As we all know, life is hard. It can beat you down, have you feeling low, and make it seem like you are alone. I'm here to remind you, though, that the most worthwhile journeys, they are not meant to be taken alone. And right now, you have the ability to take action and join others, including myself, on the mission to make every heartbeat count. Head over to cjfinley.com and sign up for my daily newsletter, where I will be giving you information, impactful stories, tips and tricks, and access to a community who are focused on making an impact above and beyond themselves. You'll also have the perk of exclusive giveaways, potential shout outs, and possibly even some collaborations. The least that will happen is you will walk away into every day with an extra pep in your step. My promise is that I will always do my best to help you thrive on life. And this newsletter is one of the best ways for me to help you do so. So if you're looking to get to the next level of your life, connect with like-minded individuals and have a daily dose of info that will help you thrive, sign up for my newsletter at cjfinley.com. Now let's get back to the conversation with Albert Baez. So relevant to where I was at. I didn't have a best friend say anything to me. I was like looking for that best friend for somebody to say that to me. And it turned out to be my wife now. And Instagram had just just started and this all ties in like because we're, you're building a content creation behemoth it's gonna <laughs> it's gonna get there um, but I was uh, pretty much doing the same thing except I was wearing a suit every day and just like when I wasn't wearing that suit it was just partying and it's just like where the hell am I going at 
with my life. And she started her Instagram account. And I could see that. And it was like a wake up call to like, there's so much more to life than, than what I was doing. And I empathize with you because we don't know what we don't know. If you had bet on yourself to be a, a baseball player and like that was it, you don't know what direction to go in next. And I think for young males, like the outlet is partying, is numbing yourself so that you don't even have to think about it. When your friend came to you, what was your first like response to that? Was oh, it just like, no. fuck yeah? <laughs> yeah, no way. <laughs> I was so reluctant, you know? Uh, I was just like, fuck no, you know, I can't. It's one of these things if, if you can't see it, right? You can't believe it. And I had never seen myself in that environment. There was never an image for me, a, an imagination or a dream, right? It was always on the baseball field, right? Always with people, community and, and whatnot, but never in an office on 23rd Street in New York City going up an elevator every day. Uh, but, you know, he was persistent. I went through the application, you know, it was really a moment of surrender for me. I knew that if I kept going where I was going and, and the path that I was on, that none of those people that s- sacrificed and supported me through my baseball journey were going to be happy. <laughs> like they were going to be distraught and sad, right? My mom, my my brother, my sister, my my dad, my best friends, my coaches, my mentors, like. So you had, had an underlying purpose. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I was, and I was basically just running away from it. My ego wasn't checked yet until I decided to step up and say, you know what? It's time to move forward. So what did it look like? So you got the, clearly yeah, you got dude, the job I and I'm sucked, like, what was bro. the next? I sucked. So this job, so, you know, that LinkedIn and, and the recruiters make it all nice, right? Sales representative, like, <laughs> uh, you know, I get My it. My last job was a cold calling job. So yeah. I know exactly oh, what you're talking 100%, about. 100%, right? 100 plus dials a day, boiler room type of environment. Definitely a culture that I, w- I was able to kind of fit in sooner rather than later because it does have that locker room feel yeah, sometimes. Yeah, competitiveness. Yeah. But I was terrible. It was a brand new skill. I was reluctant. So I was super bad. So much to the point that after my first month of training, like they were basically going to be like, dude, this kid can't, you know, like they're going to let me go. Basically, um, they flew us out to Austin. That was my first time. So this was uh, fall. Fall, November is when I got the, the gig. I forget what year exactly, but uh, they flew us out to Austin. I got to see Austin for the first time. Uh, I was here for a week in training. What was um, your perception of Texas before you ever flew out here? Oh, I had the the movies. Like my dad watches <laughs> Westerns and Kung Fu movies all the time. And like, that was it for me. You know, I had no idea there were buildings, you know, Austin, Texas. I was like, what? It's like either what you just described or it's the Dallas Cowboys. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Uh, got out here. One thing I noticed right away is how big the damn sky is. Like you can see it forever. You know, the first time they put us on the dang phones, I hung up on myself. It was like ringing, ringing. Somebody picked it up. I don't know who it was. I <laughs> just like, <laughs> I just couldn't, you know, it was like anxiety, all the, all the things that come with cold calling as a whole. But for me, it was just like way different environment. And, and then uh, it's even worse. You're sitting there looking in the mirror. You're like, I'm a grown ass man. Oh yeah. And I'm afraid to talk to somebody on the oh, other yeah. end that I can't even see that will never know who I am Dude, really. Like, And I was jacked at the time. I was like, you know, coming off of baseball, squatting, doing all the things that you do as an athlete. And so I'm this big man <laughs> sitting in this chair, hanging up on myself, <laughs> freaking dripping in sweat. <laughs> it's such an interest. Why do you think people are so afraid? Why, why, why does cold calling well, it's, and that make people afraid? Oh, for many reasons, right? You, you talked about it earlier. Inability to remove personal from business. When you're co-calling for a business, you're doing business over the phone. 
one of the things I trained, you know, towards the end of my career is I left that world. I, uh, I trained people to think of it as a video game. And like every time you pick up the phone, you're just putting a quarter to play the next level. Um, and with this hope that people would be able to detach their personal and anytime they got yelled at on the phone or a disagreement or, you know, someone was not having a good day, like it's not about you. They don't even know you. <laughs> they don't know CJ, what you do every day, right? They don't know that you are inspiring and that you're helping people and that you're bringing people together. They don't know those things. They just hear a voice and you're call number 10 <laughs> of the day. That's one thing. But at the root of it is that we're social beings, right? And so we naturally want to be liked. We naturally want to be accepted. We naturally want to communicate and connect with people. And on the phones, you're going up against that all day long, getting no's, getting people in bad moods, whatever it may be. And so instinctually, it's kind of against what we naturally are yearning for from other people. It's a tough gig, man. I was so fortunate. Really, what happened for me why when it all clicked was I started to understand it as a craft. Up to that point, you see the movies, right? You see, um, what's that? Uh, Glenn Gary Ross. Like, You see those movies and you kind of think it's all about luck. It's a numbers game. I have no real control of this. And for me as an athlete, I was that was foreign. And that's how I went into it thinking about it. But what happened was I got a deal. I got helped from like a manager, you know, coaching me on the spot. Uh, I was on on the way out. Basically, I was either going to quit or they were going to fire me. And when I got that deal, there was this ceremony where you go and hit the gong and everybody claps, right? Like literally. They had that at your office? Oh, yeah. Holy fuck. That's yeah. awesome. Like literally hit the gong. Everybody <laughs> gets up, claps, gets goes crazy. What year is this? I think 2013. That's in the movies too. Yeah. Yeah. Like wild. The, yeah. A wild. lot of sales places have that. Wild. But when I hit that gong and I got that cheer, it all clicked that it was a craft. And as soon as it clicked that it was a craft and that I could get better at it and that if you look at the stack rank, the top reps were always the top reps, right? Like there's for a reason. They can't be the luckiest people in the room. They had to be better than the others. And so as soon as that clicked, then I started practicing. Then I started taking the script home, right? Then my wife, who was an actor, obviously we're just dating at the time. It was super early in our relationship, but I knew she was an actor. I knew she knew how to inflect her voice and read scripts. I was like, yo, teach me how to do that. Like, how do I read this with the intention that I'm trying to portray on the phone? And I got really good really fast. Yeah, you mentioned the ego. The biggest thing about being on the phone is taking away your reaction. Oh, for sure. And responding instead. So if someone like comes, you have to be able to like read someone's tone. Yep. The thing that like helped me on cold calls and then it transferred to business is empathy. But you can't be empathetic if someone gets on the phone, like you, you're cold calling them and they're, they immediately are reactive towards you. So your natural instinct, such as like you said, is going to be reactive towards them. But if you can like cut through that and not react and sort of like ask questions to get them to understand. And we would watch a lot of and read a lot of material on um, hostage stuff. Yeah. How do they get somebody to dial it down mm -hmm. and remove we would the emotion from it. Yeah. Remove the emotion from it and get the other person communicating because that's really what it is. Like you're holding their time hostage. Yeah. That's, that's what it was. <laughs> we were like going through scenarios, like you're holding their time hostage and other people are taking their time and coupling that with, you said, learning how to do acting. I, that's something that I've wanted to get into because I'm pretty good on the fly, mm -hmm. but I've always wanted to learn a little bit more of the structured side of it. I ended up quitting my sales job probably like five or six months into it. I learned, this is advice for anybody else out there. My first job was industrial engineering at like a pharma company and then it was project management. And then I was like, hmm, I don't have any sales experience. So the quickest way to get sales experience is like go into the fire and get sales training. 
Yep. And my sales training was like from August to like November where you would have calls with the manager and they would basically be like babying you and they would give you like a textbook to take home and all the scripts and all that stuff. And then I quit in January. So a lot of it was like, one, I just didn't fit the culture of that company, but it was like, all right, I got the training that I needed. Now let me go integrate this into my own business, which is me getting to the point of the next question. How did that transfer over to not only Blended Sense, but I know that you worked at a couple other companies prior to Blended Sense. What was the biggest takeaway from that, what started as a very scary and fear-based environment turning into a skill. Where was that knowledge transfer and how did that help your journey as you were heading towards where you are today? Yeah. I think when I started winning, naturally, your confidence starts to build. And up to that point- What did winning look like? Winning meant getting sales. Winning meant coming in and these role plays and these trainings, right? Being a participant, an active participant. Winning meant new trainees coming up to me and asking for advice, right? Winning meant helping your team win because it was- I'm talking about every day, transparently on the boards where the stack ranks, the individual and the team stack ranks. And so as I started hitting that gong more, my confidence started building. And since baseball, I had zero confidence, even through that dark time, like there's no confidence there, right? It's it's like, who am I? (laughs) You know, that's basically what the question I'm asking and winning helped me remember that I was, I had purpose. I was here for a reason. And So what that naturally translated is the obvious, the network started building. People started, you know, the executives at this company started recognizing me, valuing me as a valuable member of their organization. And then the way I got to Austin was that company was getting ready to sell. This was now two and a half years into my time there. And they needed a training manager here in Austin because this was the biggest office from a volume perspective. And they were going from 350 to almost 800 people in a year. And so they brought me down here. And and what that did to my career was it opened me up to not just an individual contributor, but I was in the offices with the CEOs and CPOs, right? And I was able to start to even at least be aware of what the heck they're thinking about because this was a thousand person employee company at the time. And so that carried over to giving me opportunities for other companies. OpCity was the next company that I worked at. I was the fifth employee there. So that gave me the opportunity to see something get built from the ground up, the skeleton put together, the muscles, right? The veins, like- Why did they hire you? The CEO of OpCity was one of the um, founding members of Yodel. And so he got to see me flourish and really met me from the beginning, really liked my story. Also, I was the head baseball coach at Yeshiva University, and he was Jewish. So I think that played a little bit <laughs> into why he hired that. me. Uh, but uh, yeah, man, Ben Rubenstein gave me that opportunity, brought me in as the fifth employee to his incredible vision, uh, which sold to Realtor.com for $200 plus million in two years. Crazy. But with that came, again, the opportunity to see something get built from the ground up. I was there and put the processes in place, made it bilingual. Too, that was my first time being able to flex my ability to speak Spanish fluently in business, which was really cool because at Yodo, anytime someone spoke a different language, we couldn't service them. So it was just like, sorry, can't help you. And now we could help at least one other demographic. So that was cool. And I got to recruit, manage, and train the first 30 employees there. And so I got to see that for the first time and what that takes and, and the HR part around it, the legal part around it, the budgeting around headcount growth. And so this whole idea of like, oh, wow, maybe this is my platform, building a company, 
started to come into life and to fruition. I started to see the pieces. I'm like, okay, wow, this is how you do this part. Holy shit, this is a freaking battle, a war every single day. Like that's how you have to run a business to be able to succeed and to keep the doors open. And so I started getting really passionate about that and, and kind of loving it, to be honest. And most people don't know this, but me and my best friend, who was a software engineer, we actually started a company in that it was in formation and all that and proper C Corp in Delaware, but it was really more of a product and it failed miserably. It was Review My Song. And it was in between that time of Yodo and Op City and Blended Sense that we did that. And I learned so much from that because that was the first time that I sacrificed and put put it on the table for me and mine, right? And for me and ours. And it failed so bad. Why did it fail? Uh, mostly experience and lack of the proper network at the time. So it was a more B2C product. It was for the consumer directly. And all my experience up to that point was B2B. And so we were kind of swimming in uncharted waters. Yeah, and if you don't have if you don't have the network for B2C, you're just gonna get crushed. You need so much money. Yeah. So much money to do B2C. Not only that, but we were in a historically non-profitable segment, which is music as well. Uh, and then we pivoted from Review My Song to Review My Work and kind of opened it up. Um, and then we just ran out of gas. Really, we, we had nothing left. He put he put everything he had at the, at the moment on the table. I put everything I had at the moment at the table. It was kind of a short-lived, but we learned so much. And I think that that failure, although it was super hard, it was definitely like the exclamation point and the period saying building something is definitely the platform that I need to see for myself. I was literally just listening to My First Million before, while I was driving over here. It's a podcast and I'm going to butcher this, but he was laying out questions of what he asked people when they're stuck between these two questions. Like they either don't know what they want from life, but they know this is not it, or they know what they want, but they're afraid. And he basically has a list of questions that he asked that type of person. And one of them was, if you were to fail at doing this, would you keep going? And for you, it's like that failure, that taste of true entrepreneurship, which is like putting everything yep. you have on the table oh, yeah. and going after it. Are you willing to continue to go even after that? That's when you know it's that right seat. So yep. I'm reframing yep. this for anybody listening. Like I love hearing your story because I know that exact moment for me was I was like, at least you had like exits <laughs> or an exit. I was jumping around and working on different projects. And then I would get to a point where it's like a year or two, two or three years in, and then just start having conflicts internally with, with that business and be like, well, I'm out, peace. And yeah, just yeah, like yeah. got nothing out of it. And the cool thing for me where I attach to your story is one of those specific times was I thought it was just like shit. Like I just spent a year working towards this specific thing. And then it was just like, the rug was just ripped out. And once the rug was ripped out, I met one of my mentors who has like literally changed my life. Long story short, once that rug was ripped out, I was like, all right, I'm still an entrepreneur. I need to keep going. I started writing this like Thrive Weekly like newsletter thing, posted on LinkedIn. He saw it, reached out to me. We grabbed coffee and then he changed my life for the better forever. So and he also not only changed my life, like has helped me give to the interns that I've have and just like has helped me like come up with a couple of different ideas that have served a lot of other people. And that never would have happened if that rug never got pulled out. So I love how you put that right there. What was that moment that you're just like, shit, this is done? What were you thinking? Like in terms of Bro. 
it's out, uh, I think it's on video. <laughs> really? <laughs> it was South by of that year. Again, in entrepreneurship, man, it's so hard to just even know what freaking day it is. It just all blends in as one and, and years are, tend to escape me. But it was South by of that year that we were building it and we exhausted everything. There was like this pitch opportunity the next day. We're like on E, right? Both of us. And, and we're like trying to get this pitch together. And, and there's a video of me like just zoned out like scary looking you're like holy shit this guy's not there anymore you know and there's like a fly that comes over and i'm like i got it <laughs> like that's the video bro <laughs> and like that was it that was like you knew you had to unplug <laughs> i was i was like on the deep end but yeah man it was it felt crisis again it felt very much like holy shit you know turmoil like what am i gonna do now i swore that i was not gonna go like work for someone else anymore you know i really wanted to build something we thought we were solving we knew for a fact we were solving a big problem. We just, like I said, didn't have the experience, the resources, or the network at the time. And for me, it was just a moment of, all right, I got to do something to recoup, right? Like to reback, like refill. And I just went back to what I knew. And a lot of people that were at Yoda, a lot of the leadership that was at Yoda was now at, at Main Street Hub, which is a company that was acquired by GoDaddy. And so they were always trying to recruit me there and like, hey, you know, come and, and you'll have a job for sure. You can do this X, Y, Z. And so I just basically hit the safety button, I guess, and, and just went back and did what I was really good at. And um, I was at Main Street Hub and that was in my time at Main Street Hub right before they sold to GoDaddy was when Abby came to me with the Blend of Sense idea. And it was just incredible timing. And obviously we, we recouped a little bit as well. Main Street Hub had an exit <laughs> to GoDaddy. So it was all good. And I was very, very blessed that my network had my back once again. I wanted you to tell that because I after seeing what you've written in the bio that you sent me, I knew that part of the story a little bit and I wanted the audience to hear it because the biggest, a lot of the biggest fears is like the unknown. And, but the reality is like, you can always go back. Always. So you could try an idea, blow all your money, yep. end up on the couch somewhere and just go get another job. And then yep. you're right back to where you were before, but at least you learned something and you knew that you tried to go do it. Yep. And I think the biggest killer for people's souls is, looking back on life and saying, what if, Yeah. what if I had tried that thing? Yeah. We just forget to be grateful, man. Dude, every day we wake up, we have an opportunity to change our circumstances, like facts. And some people have much tougher circumstances than others, but the fact is we're all striving to be better, hopefully. Right. And like, man, when you do risk it all and you're at that bottomless pit that it feels like reminder that you're still feeling that pain. And if you're feeling that pain, you're alive and you can always start climbing. <laughs> if you're it, still feeling that pain, you're alive. That's it. A lot of people don't realize that is is why that's there. And I like to believe that pain is our teacher and that's where we learn the most. And your story just clearly shows that because the pain of, okay, I was going to go with this one path in my life. I was going to be a baseball player. That doesn't happen. Okay. Now I'm like drunk and bartending for nine months. But because that you did that, somebody saw something in you and was like, I have this opportunity for you. Yeah, I want to help change your life. And then he got you the opportunity, but you had to take advantage of the opportunity. Yep. And I think that's where a lot of people fuck up. Oh yeah. Is there's a lot of people that are willing to give you opportunities. That's why like, if you're listening to this, I think the best thing that anybody can do is put themselves out there because there's a lot of people that are willing to help. And that's something I guess, a lot on the East Coast where it's just like nobody wants to like stick their neck out. But if you do, you stand out and like people do want to help. But if people do help, that's the time when you got to like 
take advantage of that step up hit a home run show you know, up you just gotta show, show up, up. Yeah. you gotta show up and get and try to get one percent better every day but i'd love to swing this into for the last 15 minutes yeah more of like what blended sense is about and then what you're up to today so you mentioned technology yeah can you run me through that like talk me through as like yeah. a, as a as a fifth grader like what is the technology that you're speaking of when you talk blended sense sure so the platform is multi-sided, right? And what that means is that it's got different user types. And so today the main users are the creative professional who's a freelancer. They're a 1099 contractor, right? And they're typically a videographer, a photographer, an actor, or a model. That's one user type. Then you've got the internal team of producers and editors who are typically exactly what that sounds like, the producers and the editors in the traditional world of production. Producer being a very key role that people overlook, especially on smaller budget production. The producer is the glue, the logistic handler, the project manager, right? The scheduler, et cetera. That's a big part of it. And then the other user is the business owner or the brand owner, right? And so for the business owner and the brand today, a couple things that we try to help out with the technology, even on our free account, right? Where you can just go on and create a free account is the world of digital asset management has hit the scene. And, and there's brand folders, one out there. Canto is another one where organizations, business owners, 70 something percent of the media assets that they have, whether it's raw or ready to publish or whatnot, don't get distributed. Mm, yep. That's nuts. They just sit there. They just freaking sit there. I have a six terabyte hard drive that has videos and photos and whatever. And like, it's just sitting there. As an athlete, that drives me nuts. It drives me nuts because like we practice, fail, do everything in front of everyone, right? With this idea that we are supposed to get feedback and get better. And so I believe strongly that a lot of that is fear-based and nothing else. And then also obviously convenience, right? Like it's just, it is a little hard to distribute assets. Yeah, the, distri all the, the distribution is what, because I don't care. I'll put anything out there, but who's going to distribute, who's going to sit down and distribute yeah, it for and me? And when and where, et cetera. So there's this, again, this education gap and then also tools. So for them, it's a digital asset management system where the first thing you do as a user, that's a brand or a business, you take a brand quiz. And this brand quiz helps you build the brand vault with your colors, your fonts, all your social platforms. It helps you pick the right visuals, how you want every photo and every video clip to look. We have our own presets. So just like Instagram has the, the filters, we have the blend ascent filters. And so when you take this brand quiz, you tell us, I want all my visuals to be bright and airy. And then you go to the music tab. And now you're picking from these beats, basically, and these sounds and these audio. And you say, I want all my music, all my videos to sound with this music. And these are all our custom assets that we've built, right, into the technology. And so you have this brand vault. Now you have your marketing team, your social media team, whoever distributes assets for you, all in one place, hosting all of your assets, all your brand assets, and the media assets that are distributed across these platforms. In the digital asset management system, before we got on the podcast, you were talking about this, we built technology that auto tags the assets and labels and organize them based on where they should go. Whether it's vertical, going on IG stories or Facebook stories, or they're 16 by nine or they're one by one, the technology takes the context and the dimensions of the asset and tags them and allows you to go into your library and say, oh, this same video I have for all these different outlets. And you're able to download it with that proper export settings and then distribute it. And people tend to struggle with that, right? It's like, 
not only where do I put it, but then I try to put it and the file doesn't fit and it looks yeah. awful and that stops people. And then, you know, they get busy because they're a business owner. And that's the part that people forget when building tools for business owners, especially the small business owner, y'all, they are the busiest people on earth. They wear all the hats. They have very little time, very little budget and very little resources. And so making it easier for them is important. So for them, it's a digital asset management system. They can request whatever assets they need, photo, video, audio. They can schedule their productions. We call them sweeps. They're two to four hours, and they do that all in one place. For the creative professional, it's very similar to what you would see in a Uber or Lyft platform today. It is CJ onboards to the technology. CJ tells us what kind of creative he is, whether he's a photographer, a videographer, an actor, a model, or all, right? Then he tells us what equipment he has down to the lenses, like everything. CJ tells us what his availability is like Monday through Sunday. When do you want gigs, right? Do you just want them in the morning half? Do you want a full day availability? You tell us where your zip code is and your service area. And then by inputting those data points, now, not only are you getting gigs, but you're getting the right gigs that you want to work, what you're interested in, right? Because we get your interests as well. You hear all the time creatives are doing gigs that they don't really love, like weddings, <laughs> for example. Yep. So you're getting the right type of gig at the right time in the right area. That's huge. So not only am I telling you, hey, CJ, you're going to get a gig that you're matched to, but it's going to be at the time that you're available because you told us that and in the area that you want to service. Maybe you don't have a car. Maybe you do have a car, but you can only drive it X miles. And so for them, they accept the gig. When they accept the gig, they see all the production logistics, the where, the what, the how, even the settings you should put your camera on down to the nitty gritty of like, the white balance, for example, like things that make post-production either really smooth or really rough. And so for them, they, all their gigs get accumulated over a month and then they get paid on the 15th of the following month. And that's rolling payroll. So our net pay is net 30 right now. We're hoping that as the technology continues to develop, it can be as instant as a Lyft or an Uber driver when they pull out the funds, right? And one of the things that we're developing for the creative, I talked about it earlier, was what things for your relationship with us need to be accounted for and need to be tracked and then handed over to you in a data set so that you can do your business better? Anything accounting, right? Your travel time, reimbursements, parking, all those things we're tracking in the app. But we also want to get down to the point where what we're trying to do is make production more reliable, more accessible, right? Faster. And so we found that productions often tend to get expensive when they're canceled or rescheduled based on weather, based on not having a backup location. And so we're trying to like connect to APIs with the Farmer's Almanac, for example, and understand what the weather looks like in that location on that date at that time. And so that if the technology tells us CJ got matched to this gig on Saturday at this time, but it's going to be hailing, right? And, and it's an outdoor shoot. Hey, consider rescheduling it before- Before they get out there. Holy shit, yeah. right? The end goal for in that vision for the creative is a mobile app where you it's almost like gamified that you, you know your profile, your attributes, you know your gear and your equipment and who you're servicing. You know how many gigs you've done under Blendasense. You have a portfolio with all the work that you've done with Blendasense and you're able to take gigs and get all these support systems around accounting and project management, customer service for you and your, your business. And then the one that's super exciting and that makes us this potential unicorn type company is the producer and the editor. Today, those are internal employees. Yeah, I was about to say, before you get into this, yeah. I was like, you're almost creating a new job role. And what I mean by that is, 
I live this, so I understand. I, I don't know if any everybody else listening will understand, but I, from A to Z, clearly could understand what you were talking about. And you almost need somebody that's the middleman. I could be blended sense certified to yeah. like understand logistically. I, I don't know how familiar you are with the tech side of things, but like a scrum master. Oh yeah. So like when you're developing an app, you're almost like creating your own blended sense job role with somebody in there that understands mm-hmm. from A to Z. I don't know what they'd be calling in the past, but like I've worked with like Vice Media before on like sure. an event and you have like that middleman person. It's not necessarily the same, but you could, because you're building a technology side to it as well, that person's going to have to understand the tech and then they're also going to have to understand the actual creative result that you're looking for. So that's where my mind was going while you're thinking about this. I'm just like, man, you're creating almost like a new era. New kind of production. That's yeah. what we call it. Right. And it's because it's antiquated. If you look at the real estate space, and I always reference that, not just because that's where we're heavily leveraged in blended sense, but my time at Op City showed me how antiquated and like legacy that industry was. And in the time of Op City, you had Open Door, Orchard, Redfin, Compass, all these tech driven real estate solutions, right? Whether it was just straight tech play or a brokerage like Compass, EXP. EXP is a virtual brokerage with avatars and all tech enabled, and they're a publicly traded company. And so I feel very strongly that the same type of tech innovation and rush that happened in real estate in the last five, seven years is happening today in creative. And we're just focused on the behemoth in the room, which is production, the thing that drives all of it. Where my mind goes is what does Web3 do to production? Oh, yeah. I don't know if you've thought gone down this rabbit hole. Yeah. The rabbit hole. I, I just like, I've been thinking about it a lot. One of the reasons that I got into podcasting was like seeing the future of like what podcasting has become. We're sitting in a room right now, right? Yep. But for me, like Web3 is just like, well, I've been really hesitant to do virtual podcasts because it's just, it doesn't feel the same. I don't feel as lit up to do a virtual podcast as I would yep. in person. But what if you could do that? Yep. What if Web3 could bring, like, what if I could put like a headset on that has... <laughs> the audio and everything that I need. Cause mm-hmm. like now they have software that like I could just use my iPhone here yep. and plug a something into this and then have the audio and I could just like FaceTime you and that could be a podcast. Right. But what happens to the day when I get like glasses that I just put on and it has quality audio, quality, whatever. And yep. it feels like I'm sitting right next to, next to you, yeah. like that's what I'm preparing for because that would be enjoyable to me. I could talk to people freaking in Bali right now yep. for all yep. I know. Yep. Right. So before we get to our wrap up questions, I'd love to understand a little bit more of like, you're seeing your vision right here. And what is, I believe like that's full, you're fully capable of doing that. Do you have like a moonshot that you've thought through or like crazy ideas that it could become? Cause I take you as that type of person that kind of like <laughs> is always, yeah. the gears are always going. Yeah. I'm always looking for the opportunity to make an experience better for whoever's participating. Right. And so the moonshot vision is, coming out of Washington Heights, New York City, as a son of immigrants, there was education and sports. That's what felt like my two ways out. I strongly feel like in this creative world, in this Web3 world, there's a third one now at play. And that's the creative as an artist or providing it as a service. The demand for creative services is through the roof in business today, from an individual brand or product all the way up to the enterprise level. And so the moonshot vision for me, man, is like, how do we build systems, processes, and technology that anyone out there that's looking to make a living doing creative services has the opportunity to plug in, get trained up, get connected to the right people, 
get equipped with the right equipment and then get out there and go and go make a living doing what they love, right? And like I want to do that because I know that there's so many communities on earth from end to end who are needing more ways out and more opportunities and we're naturally wanting to do creative. We're naturally wanting to be an athlete or we're naturally wanting to be a scholar. And I just feel like this track is still underdeveloped and I want to be a big part of developing that track and that way out for every community on earth. I love your response there because even just going back a decade, we didn't have the iPhones that we have today. So if you're listening to this, you're a creative. Here's an easier way. How much (laughs) of your storage on your phone is taken up from videos and photos Photos. compared to anything else on your phone? Mm -hmm. And nine out of 10 people are going to have videos and photos being their most. And even if you're an introvert, you're probably taking photos of like whatever it is that you're passionate about. It doesn't have to be about people. Yep. So that as an analyst of things, that makes me believe like you're right on the money with where this world is going. And it's just like, well, 10 years ago, you knew like, okay, I need to go to this school or I need to take this course. But the reality is today, it's you just need to plug into the right system oh, yeah. that is going to help get you up to speed. Like, And one year of integrating into this system is going to be exponential growth yep. compared to what you needed to know 10 years ago. Because like for me right now, I'm on camera, right? And like the ISO and the different colors and the things that I have to do. Like I didn't, I don't know the, the scholastic terms mm-hmm. for everything, but- you give me a camera and I can make it happen. Make it happen yeah. And how many people fit in that mold? But then they're telling themselves, oh, but I can't do this because I don't have XYZ. this education or this the access to this person or this network. Mm-hmm. And you're creating that. So I love to hear that. And it, it solves a major problem for a lot of people that I've been friends with or serviced uh, in the past. So I just want to just wanna thank you for tackling a problem that I think is going to have a massive impact on people's ability to do more of what they love. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you, man. And with that, we are right at an hour. And <laughs> I know your time is money in your world. Just like you said, we're, we are extremely on the go. Yeah. A lot of times before the podcast, Albert was literally like, we had to 1130 today. I was like, is there any way that you can like push your 1130, <laughs> makes a phone call, makes it happen. So I appreciate you making that happen. But the end of every podcast, my major goal, like I said to you before we hopped on is for you to connect with somebody that was listening and maybe could take away something from you, ask you a question, be a customer or a client, or even a creative that could work with you. What is the best way for them to get in contact with you? Yeah. So if you're looking to connect with Blended Sense directly across social, it's just at Blended Sense, all one word. If you're looking to connect with me directly, Albert at BlendedSense.com. I love helping entrepreneurs of all types go to market. It's probably my biggest strength, really understanding strategically how to position a product or a service and finding those ideal clients and customers, right? And then saying, okay, how do I put myself in front of them and convert them? So if anybody needs help across product, technology, services, always down to chat and connect to my network. I always tell people that meet me and want to connect in a deeper way. Check my LinkedIn. Who am I connected to that you want to be connected to? And like, It's just a message, right? And I'll make that happen. Hell yeah. Reach out to him. Last question I always ask everybody is, when I say the word thriving, what does it mean to you? Man, peace. Being able to go to sleep at night and wake up every day with just peace, I feel like it spills into happiness so fast. And like that's thriving. That's knowing that you left it all on the field, right? Like you didn't go to sleep that night knowing that there was something you should have done. Like, And that's so hard, but I feel like the more days you can end and begin with peace, that to me is thriving. I love that response. Have you ever heard of Naval Ravikant? No. His saying is, happiness is peace in motion. Mm. 
Strong. So most people seek happiness, mm-hmm. whereas most people should be seeking peace. Yeah. And then with peace, happiness will bestow itself upon you. You need to read his book, dude. That's so Almanac good. of R- Naval Ravikant. It's just a book written about his his tweets. Like you're the type of person I think would awesome. really value that book um, and where you're at with your business and your and your life. Uh, he just has a lot of a lot of wisdom in a lot of these, these areas. He's the founder of AngelList. Oh, so nice. You know what AngelList is? Yeah. Let's go. Yeah. So he, uh, yeah, super super wise guy, and it's one of those things that I remind myself all the time. Like the good instance is like when we're feeling off, we're just like, oh, like, why am I not happy? Mm-hmm. Instead of saying, what is causing anxiety that's fucking up my peace? Yep. And if we focus on just like, why do I feel anxious? Like, why can't I go to sleep? Yep. It's less about like being happy. It's more about giving yourself a chance to just relax. Mm-hmm. And then like ultimately happiness will come. So love how you ended it there. At the end of every podcast, I kind of reflect on like, what was my biggest takeaway? And for me here today, the biggest takeaway, I'm going to go way back to your story of your friend asking you to work at Yodel. And (laughs) even though you didn't want to do it, you still showed up. And when you said the word show up, that really reminded me that we can't see 10 years from now that story of those little ways where you showed up even though you didn't want to. And it's such a powerful thing because like every single day we're fighting this in different areas. Like I ran a couple miles before this podcast. I was like, ah, do I really want to do this? Like, I'd rather just like kind of hang out before I get on the podcast. And it's just like, but afterwards, like I felt great and I haven't really felt great in like a week or two. Had it fucked up with my back and a couple other issues. And I felt great after it was sunny. I'm like, I'm ready to rock this podcast. And before that I wasn't, I wasn't feeling that way. Mm -hmm. So just showing up can unlock everything in the rest of your life. And it sounds like it did that for you. So I appreciate you sharing that story. Appreciate the conversation here today. Before I wrap up, is there anything last that you want to tell the audience? Just go after it. You know, you got nothing else to lose. So, Hell yeah. Well, we're about to get after it right after this. Let's go, baby. Best thing you can do for me is if you connected with Albert and his story, please share it with a friend or a family member. We're all here to strive together and thrive together. This is CJ Finley with the Thrive On Life podcast. Until next time, thrive on y'all. What's up, y'all? This is CJ again. And on behalf of the small team here at Thrive on Life, I'd like to thank you for listening to one of our episodes. Our mission in life is to help people like you fuel your passion and make every heartbeat count. And we realize the best way to do this is together as a team. So we'd love for you to join in on this mission and connect with like-minded individuals within our Thrive on Life community. To do so, please head to thriveonlife.com and connect with us there. We'd love to chat with you. Before I sign off, I'd like you to always remember one thing. When we strive together, we thrive together. So please do your part in helping others thrive on life.